The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Anthony R. Green is a composer, performer, and social justice artist whose various creative and pedagogical projects have been presented in 25-plus countries at venues in Boston, the Netherlands, Berlin, Tel Aviv, Cyprus, and New York City. As a performer, he specializes in piano performance, experimental vocalizations, improvisation, movement, and performance art. He has performed projects ranging from traditional recitals to interdisciplinary performances in the US, the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, Turkey, and Switzerland. A former McKnight visiting composer, Green has been invited to numerous residencies in the US and Europe, including Spacetime in Scotland, the Visby International Center for Composers in Sweden, and the Bemis Center for Contemporary Artists in Omaha, Nebraska. He is also the co-founder and associate director of Boston-based Castle of Our Skins, dedicated to celebrating black artistry through music. Because of his multifaceted practice, he has been invited to give talks and workshops at Columbia University, the Pyatt Swartz Institute in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and many others. How does the creative process begin for you? So I always answer this question by saying every single piece of mine that I compose has its own unique beginning in terms of a creative process. And this not only happens because of the nature of the type of music that I create and the type of 
collaborations that I'm involved with, but also because there are pieces of mine that are social justice oriented. And then there are pieces of mine that are just concerned with music making or sound textures or experimentation or music theater. So being involved in so many different types of approaches to composition requires a different beginning. With my social justice pieces, I tend to always begin with research. And the type of research also changes. So if I'm beginning with a piece that is concerned with a type of social justice situation that I'm not intimately familiar with. I like to read articles, read books, sure. watch documentaries, yeah. you know, do all of that. But if it's, for instance, related to something about black culture, which is something that I like to think I'm pretty savvy <laughs> You know a little to, bit about it. Just you know a little bit. bit. <laughs> then instead of jumping into research about from the beginning point, then I start to ask friends or colleagues, you know, it's a completely different research process. And it's really exciting to be in those spaces because not only does it give me a chance to learn something new, but if I'm collaborating with somebody else, it gives us a chance to grow synergetically. When you're talking about creating a composition, a musical work, why is it important to quote unquote do the research ahead of time? What does that provide the music or is that just a mindset or, or does that get you going creatively? It's all of those things. It's mindset. It's being able to speak authentically or as authentically as possible when you're sure. creating this piece, because, Hey, I might not be using words within the piece. I could also be using words within the piece, but I would be, completely irresponsible if I just learned a little bit about something and decided to respond to it emotionally. And honestly, there are so many pieces that do this and it makes me angry because yeah. we can take a cat, we can take a picture of some rosemary, we can take the name of a country and respond to it emotionally. But in order to tell an authentic story, you have to dig deeper. You have to go underneath those themes and you have to find what about these situations resonates with your life, with your culture, with your background and with your way of making art. Okay, so you've done all this research. So you found out about a particular topic and you feel like you know enough about it now to have an emotional response, like you said, or to have a response to it. So where do you go then? Then I start taking notes about my research, about my reactions to the research, about the little things that may or may not have been illuminated for a general public. Sure. And then I start to think about how these things could translate into a piece of music. And these are the things that just slip in the cracks but what have I learned about the situation A? And what have I learned about you as a composer responding to such situations? So when I think about that type of approach to a situation, I like to correct those types of experiences within my practice. So when do we get to the piano? Yeah. You specialize in piano performance and experimental vocalization. So 
so I'm assuming at some point here, after all this research and finding things that resonate, do we get to the piano? My process when it comes to the actual creation of the score usually doesn't involve me at a piano mm. because I'm one of those composers that hears everything in my head and hears everything unfolding in my head. So the piano is usually the least present in the process, to be honest. I'm really one of those people that prefers words and images. I have a moleskin where I write down structures, write down proportions, write down gestures. I think of shapes. I think of narratives, linearities. I think of different ways that material can relate to each other, recycling material, sound palettes. I think of so, so much at, at, at the same time. And in doing so, I just can't do that at the piano. That isn't to say that I don't have pieces that have started at a piano or have started with me improvising vocally or even just physically by moving through space. But for the most part, I just like writing down all the geeky things. So we go from there, you have sketches, you have ideas, and now finally the deadline is approaching, right? Or the musicians need the music to start practicing. So when does it get formalized? When does it get written down? When do the hours and excruciating hours of putting it in finale or whatever software you use, or even if, you, if you're just handwriting it, when when does that happen in the process? It's all organic. Some sure. pieces of mine, the engraving process happened quite quickly be, because it just had to. Um, yeah. Other, <laughs> other, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was like, it's due in a week. <laughs> okay, then it's going to take a week. <laughs> it's either it's due in a week or this was completely something in my heart and in my soul that I yeah. really wanted to engrave before sure. I lost it. Other times the engraving process I know is gonna take less than two days. So I leave that to be the very last thing to do because I have to figure out so, so many other things before opening that laptop and engraving. So really there's no formula. I also hate the idea of routine. So I try to disrupt my process with each piece as well because Mm -hmm. I like to keep it new. I like to keep it fresh. And I feel like if I don't do that, then I'll get stuck artistically. Um, I'm also one of those pieces that, sorry, I'm also one of those people <laughs> that has constantly ideas running through my head. Sure. So it's really just a matter of reaching my metaphorical internal hand to capture one of those ideas before it disappears. And that type of process also differs within for each piece.
so taking a look at a piece like the Gettysburg Address, tell us a little bit about the instrumentation and then who are the performers that we're hearing in the recording? The instrumentation of this piece is soprano for the reciter of the Gettysburg Address. And then clarinet, doubling bass clarinet, cello, percussion, various percussion instruments, including paper and kazoo, and piano. And the performers are the ensemble that commissioned it, and that's the playground ensemble. Let's talk about how this piece came to be. Why, Why was this piece written? There are a couple of different answers to this. The first answer is that I won a competition with the Playground Ensemble. And the prize for the competition was to have the original submitted piece performed a couple of times, and then the next year have a new piece commissioned and premiered, world premiere for the Playground Ensemble. So long story short, the piece exists because I won a competition. Right, right. Which is how most of these things start. There's a commission, there's a deadline, there's a there's a impetus that is external to the creative process. Yes. So that's aspect number one. Aspect number two, the Playground Ensemble basically said, okay, you've won a commission. What would you like to write for us? So I had been involved with all of these what I like to call American texts. And I wanted to continue that line of inquiry in my composition practice in my commission for the Playground Ensemble. The Gettysburg Address is a speech. It's a very famous speech, and it means a lot of different things to different people. What did it mean to you, and how did that affect how you were going to set it? And how how did that affect what we hear musically? So the Gettysburg Address wasn't a text that I grew up memorizing or studying. In fact, I had always heard of the text, but I don't think I ever really read it up until that time when I started researching the text. Like really line by line. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, I knew four score seven years ago. And I think that was the only thing I knew (laughs) about the text, to be honest, which is quite sad. But at any rate, when I started to research this speech and to do research for the commissioning, for for the creative process of this piece, I started by reading the background. Why was this text written? When was it delivered? How was it delivered? Where was it delivered? And you start reading about how this speech was delivered to commemorate a new graveyard that was being built especially to honor those who died in the Gettysburg, um, the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. And then you start reading about the Battle of Gettysburg and how important it was in the grand scheme of the unfolding of the battles in in the Civil War. And then when I found out about that particular battle's importance, it put a whole new spin on the words of the text. Because we can read the text 
and memorize it and take all of the wonderful one-liners that are in the text and just apply them to a modern day context, right? right? Yeah. But what I like to do when I get really stuck into a text is figure out as close as possible what those words would have meant at that time. There's a couple of things that I noticed about this piece, and, and maybe you're about to go into and kind of explain why you decided to make some of the musical decisions you did. What was your idea? Is this all based on what you read from the text, or did you have some extra musical idea that you were sort of applying to the text or using with the text? Uh, I always bring extra musical ideas sure. to everything that sure. I compose, <laughs> even, even my nerdy... <laughs> Absolute music had, yeah. usually has some sort of extra musical element to it. Sure. But specifically for this piece, there were three meta topics that I wanted to bring into the narrative of this piece. So the first is the idea of war. I wanted to have sounds of war. Second was the idea of the importance of text. And I wanted to have moments where a text was illuminated in some way by the music commenting on the words or the music painting the situation of the words. Sure. I wanted those moments where the text, the purity of the text, could be so clear that it just punctuates the soul. Yeah. And then I wanted this idea of let's not repeat the same thing. So at one point in the text, Abraham Lincoln says, we need to make sure that those who died here didn't die in vain. And for me, that meant that those deaths should be always used as an example of what not to do, of where the country shouldn't ever go again. And that's why the piece ends this way. The ending had to be my prayer almost for this country to get its act together. Yeah. But if you really, really take a close listen, mm -hmm. To the very, 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 very end, <laughs> I have such cynicism when it comes to the United States. Yeah. And I had to make sure I put that cynicism there.
I'm constantly talking about schisms that happen in new music. These schisms usually are based on aesthetic. So the crazy, crazy experimentalists, they hate the tonal composers and the tonal composers talk pejoratively about the more avant-garde composers. And then the indie classical practitioners hate that term, but they all know really what it means. (laughs) And for me, music is music. We have tools. Indie classical music is a tool. The new discipline is a tool. Pop music is a tool. Baroque is a tool. Counterpoint is a tool. All of this stupid, pointless infighting that's going on within new music. People trying to pen these differences between a European approach versus an American approach. And yeah, there could be a little bit of stylistic differences, whatever. But should we harp on those differences or should we celebrate the commonalities between all of this. We're all in a field where we have to survive somehow doing one thing and that's making music. So why not use all of the tools that are available to us? Anthony, thanks so much for being on the show. If we want to find out more about you and your music, where should we go? Definitely a good place to start is my website, www.anthonyrgreen.com. And then please check out www.castleskins.org, which is the website of Castle of Our Skins. I'm on social media. It's all linked to my website. So just start at my website and you'll find so, so many things from there. Thanks to Anthony R. Green for sharing his time and his music with us. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, check out other episodes in the podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.